That's what having a creative life is about. You're actually trying to be an amateur artist and an amateur scientist. In other words, all of us want to know the real deal about how the world truly works in every aspect of our lives. Hi, everyone. That was Vale talking and giving some of his great advice. He's the editor and founder, along with his partner, Marion, of research publications. Research publications I first discovered at Berkeley when I was going there, and it's kind of an underground press that searches for surreal and unusual subcultures. It's pretty well known in San Francisco and in the Bay Area and across the world for zine culture. They had this amazing zine called Search and Destroy that is still awesome. Something about research publications immediately attracted me when I saw it. And then a few years later, when I was living in San Francisco, I was walking on Romolo Place, going to one of my favorite bars there, and I f noticed the address, and I saw a small sticker for research publications, and it all came back to me. And, and that's when I realized that research publications was based out of Romolo Place in North Beach in San Francisco. I dropped a note in the mailbox to Vail, and then... Over time, we became friends and actually collaborated in a pop-up installation of his press at one of my stores. And we discussed over the kitchen table, you know, his interactions with interviewees like Robert Anton Wilson, Bruce Connor, other just amazing people. And today we connected over Zoom post-COVID to talk about interviewing body language agendas, publications, keeping inquisitive and open, his love of the Financial Times and Costco, and being open to the surreal and everything. We also discussed parenting tips, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with myself, Phil, and Marion. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening. Support research publications. Hey, Robert, you're back. Uh, it's taking your daughter to some destination. Well, my mom's here and she's helping. So they're going to the pool and so I can do this call and focus on you guys. Oh, great. Yeah, it's certainly handy having your mom there. That's really, I met her. She, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So she's just, she's been here about a week and she flew all the way from Chile to Hawaii, which is exhausting, but she's, um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Back to full Spanish language at the house. And it's good for my daughter to have that, you know, immersion. Uh, you know, she's multilingual. So we're trying to keep it up for her. Oh, that that's amazing. That's a gift to be able to be raised multilingual. Vale, how's your daughter doing? Oh, she's in the, I know we're a little bit ahead of you. She's, you know, she's 27 years old and she's been in New York the last almost four years. And anyway, she seems to be, you know, working and all that. Just uh, making life happen. You, you should expect you, maybe your daughter will do the same when she gets older. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go 3,000 miles away from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same. I mean, right now I'm basically 6,000 miles from my mom. So, you know, both the, the benefits of air travel and the internet make it, you know, somehow connected still, which is nice, I guess. I don't know if you have like Zoom calls with your daughter or FaceTime or how you connect still, but maybe at 27, she doesn't want to deal with you guys. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> well, she's definitely busy working. You know, she's part of the generation that works from home, WFH. And, um, but we're, we're kind of constantly in touch through Instagram, you know, sending each other pictures and little texts and stuff like that. You know, you've always said that everyone's an artist and a scientist. Maybe we can just start there and what came, where you got that conclusion from? Well, I mean, that's, that's what having a creative life is about. You're, you're actually, Actually, trying to be an amateur artist and an amateur scientist. In other words, all of us want to know the real deal about how the world truly works in every aspect of our lives. And uh, that's why I say scientists. I mean, you want to know the real deal of, uh, I don't know, the best ways to, you, you want to eat the best diet. Let's start with that. And and everyone's body is slightly different, but but I think in general it's it's best to have a lot of fresh vegetables and 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 some fresh fruit as well, and and try to you know go easy on the processed pre-made corporate made foods, and and um, but yet there's obviously a lot of advertising telling us to buy this product and that product that's frankly corporately manufactured and um i don't know i live near chinatown always have and fresh produce is really cheap there a lot cheaper than say at safeway or other chain stores and um it, it's not that rocket sciencey to learn how to cook basic fr fresh vegetables in not too long of a time and I think I, 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 of course, tend to avoid meat if possible. I, I don't like the idea of killing animals for, and fish that much. But I'm, I'm not a strict vegetarian, but 
I, I say what science in real life for most people involves diet. I suppose transportation. Oh, oh the media. Oh, forget it. You have to avoid the media. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 do, I try not to watch any news on that's live on, I guess it would be the iPhone for me now or the computer. I, I think like I'm not different from a lot of people in that I basically live off my iPhone. That's kind of crazy. And, um, and I, I switched my energy into, in terms of posting images and uh, sort of a con continuing narrative of my so-called life. I, I, I only have so much time and energy. And so I put it into Instagram and it goes automatically to Facebook and that's how, how I've simplified my life. But of course, I've never been once been on TikTok, but now I see all kinds of TikTok posts on Instagram. So there you have it. I guess I'm modern without trying to be. So do you use that same discernment in your media diet as you do with the vegetables and the food? So what's your approach, I mean, to social media then? You just, are you nervous about it or i'm kind of curious what you your overall take on social media is well for me social media is mainly instagram first and i even email people on that in fact i, I owe someone an email from days ago someone who wanted to order a book and i forgot to reply that's bad because because i usually most of my ordering that I process my mail orders are through the real email. And um, so that's a bit of a weakness there. I still need a notebook and paper to keep track of things. And that's a good example. I just had to write down on my to -do paper to-do list today, like, uh, <laughs> you know, write the guy on Instagram who wanted a certain book. <laughs> When you say discernment, well, you're talking mainly about one ability we all have, which we don't use enough, which is the ability to say no. There's so much coming at you wanting you to say yes and and to keep your head above water, you've got to say no to much of it, or you just your mind just gets the trouble is the trouble with social media is that they they pose all these basically what gets what you get bombarded with are actually questions that reach deep into your back brain that you can't answer and 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 so the poor back brain of your you know biological computer known as your brain is processing like mad trying to figure answer these questions which are mostly truly irrelevant to your real life in reality <laughs> i mean if you didn't have a phone i mean the best i used to say you know first hour don't go on your phone or computer or anything just try and process your dreams and and let your subconscious you know feed you um survival information and priorities and things and write them down. I mean, I, I'm still a fan of writing down with real ink on paper. 
a daily to-do list, which is on the table. And you, you of course, you are on it. 2 p.m. Robert Andon Pear, Patterson on Zoom. <laughs> no, I, I'm very into the offline world. I think that's why our daughter goes to a certain type of school. And I try to use the internet as, you know, as consciously as possible as well. I'm curious how you see your editorial process traditionally with research publications and how you're intaking or discerning now. Because maybe I'm curious how the difference was maybe 40 years ago and how information got to you and then what's happening now. I mean, now the algorithm's kind of feeding you. I'm curious what the algorithm was in the reality, what that was like 40 years ago when you first started. Oh, I of course, I, I liked life before the internet in a way much <laughs> I liked it much more because it was more real it was more real uh, life there was vir- there was almost no virtual life and um I remember the days when it cost me a dollar a minute to call somebody in England which can which is pretty expensive for me at least your time can go by really fast, but a lot of my interviews were done um, calling England, let's say, and taping. And um, But still, somehow that seemed real than emailing back and forth more so. And then, I, of course, it was most fun to travel. And uh, since I don't have money, I'd usually stay in these people's living rooms, <laughs> go there and interview them and take pictures and I funneled all my energy into putting up books on paper that my argument was, well, if you do a book, it'll go all over the world. And in theory, no one can change a word in it. And uh, you have more longevity globally of reaching people who are sympathetic to what you're writing, of course, and the content you chose. And, um, I, I'm still a fan of books on paper, but it, it's definitely harder to get that distribution. There's a lot fewer bookstores, for example. And uh, the, there was a, before COVID, there was a rise of all these international, call them art book fairs or zine fairs or zine fests. And that helped me a lot. And there there isn't anything to replace that currently that I know of, at least. And um, I mean, I I do my best on Instagram to to drum up a little business for myself. As it's sort of a narrative of my life, though, like who buys books from me and what they look like, how they dress. I I mean, it's kind of partly a my Instagram account is partly a fashion site, I guess, because I always am curious as to how people dress who buy my books and. Yeah, and I try and take head-to-toe photos of them, and um, <laughs> because I, I am su- supposedly producing alt culture anthologies all my life for people to read. Uh, you know, they have words in them, and they have images to process, and and they affect ho- hopefully the the way other people live too, or they can. I'm against slavish imitation, but but still, um, I am curious as to you know how people dress and what they eat. <laughs> Interest in fashion. I'm just curious where that comes from. 
Oh, I've always been interested in fashion. I mean, that's what you see when you first meet someone. You see how they're dressed and how they look. And and then, um, most importantly, though, is when they talk. Because, you know, there's some old aphorism like, speak so that I may know you from thousands of years ago. And, of course, the words you speak are very important. And so it's probably a good idea to make them as succinct as possible and as funny as possible. Yeah, both. <laughs> and and try to deal with causes rather than, I don't know, external perceptions. You want to kind of go deeper into when the what you can't see what's invisible and i'm always interested in the way people think and how they come to the conclusions well why did you go to this concert and not that one or why did why did you vacation at this place and not that one you know basic stuff like that and it's always interesting to get other people's points of view you know that's called learning i guess when you first started, what prompted you to have that interest in kind of, was that a journalistic interest or just where did that interest in learning about other people come from? I think I've always been curious about what makes other people tick. And it's always been slightly a mystery. But then, I, you know, you learn from everyone you can when you grow up. And I guess I learned the most from Andy Warhol because especially when he started doing interview magazine because i said i could do that and so i did that i mean my search and destroy my first publication chronicling the very beginning of punk rock was heavily influenced by um warhol's early interview before it got slick because when it first started out it was full of typos and it had, had a kind of rawness to it and which makes you go, oh, I can do this. It was Warhol, instead of being a writer, which I always found really hard, I could just be an interviewer and, and do really accurate transcriptions, edited, of course, of the conversations, and then read them, and then people seem to like them. And and so that encourages you to do, mo to do more. And um, you, you get feedback when you start publishing and the feedback is what you might not make money because I didn't really, but the feedback encourages you to do more and more and more. So, and, and then you're, you know, I'm naturally curious. I think everyone's naturally curious. And I'd like to think that all the interviews I do, it's not just me. Anyone would have asked those questions. So it, in a way, not everyone can, interview this person or that but if you read an interview with them it's and it's done well you can it's almost like you did the interview <laughs> like you're there you know you're i'm just asking questions anyone would ask and i try and ask as few questions as possible when i do an interview so how do you approach interviews then what's your technique your voice, I agree, seems neutral. You don't have a bias. It oh. seems very neutral. I, you, you know, I was reading an interview with an old search and destroy issue, and you're just kind of neutral. 
it almost seems like you you disappear, which I think is an excellent trait, and you really get a sense of who the interviewee is. So, how do you approach interviews? It's a it's a skill, actually. I think quite hard to develop. You know, that that's music to my ears. What you just said, because I actually that's exactly the way I want to be, almost invisible and to disappear. And here's the holy grail of the interviews. If you even people who've been interviewed a fair amount, if you can get them to talk about something they've never talked and thought about before, that's the holy grail. <laughs> and um, and yes, I mean, well, you know, we're all animals too. And um, when people come over, I mean, he, he, the, your goal is to try and make the person as absolutely relaxed as possible and as defense put their guard down a little bit i suppose but um but especially just to be relaxed and and know, and know that whatever they say is going to be accurately put into print and um and so so to that end i i my favorite way to interview someone in person is around a table like the table you sat at here and, and ideally i'm at i'm 45 degrees to your left your left hand is 45 degrees from me and i'm not staring at you which would make you uptight and of course i take notes and but for some reason if you're if you're in this position physically it it just helps I don't know why the left you near facing their left arm closest to you is better than right, but it is. It makes them the more dominant person, I guess. Body language studies um, might verify this, and and uh, it, every little bit you can you can do to help relax people. I mean that's. I don't know. That's definitely a goal. Who has been the hardest person to interview in your past? Well, there was a there was a famous film director na named Larry Cohen, and from I went to L.A. to interview him, which cost me a lot of money by my standards. And um, I flew in to L.A. and then spent all day with him and flew back that night. And Larry Cohen had quite a career as a filmmaker already when I came to interview him. And so I just, I did like months of, or I did a lot of research on him. I made up a list of every film and almost a list of every actor and person he'd worked with that I could find out about. And then I, I, I just started going through the list and he, of course, had forgotten a bunch of films he'd made and forgotten he worked with this person and that. And and so I think it was fun for him to go down memory lane of his own life that he lived and, and you know, tell anecdotes or just recollections that occurred to him naturally, spontaneously. And, um, oh, yeah, I had this problem making the that film no we used this huge parade in new york city no we did not get permits you know stuff like that 
And so that's the one I prepared for the most historically that I remember. Regarding, I mean, that I think might bring a difference to what do you see the difference between kind of underground publications and the kind of mainstream corporate press? Well, I mean, I've always kind of been in undergrounds for some reason. And I haven't been around super famous mainstream people. So I don't I don't interview them because I don't have access to them. And, I, and it didn't even occur to me. I mean, my thinking is, why should I interview someone who's been interviewed to death already? <laughs> why not pick people that haven't been interviewed before? Or you could be the first interview or something. And um, so that's, it's, it's, it's partly just, you know, practical access. Um, you know, you don't have to go through agents and managers and all that. I don't know. It's It just seems kind of organic. No, it's interesting because you've obviously interviewed very influential people. I mean, one of the interviews I was just reading was with Cortázar, the um, Argentine writer. Oh, yeah. And yes. I went, yeah, and there's an interview with him at Berkeley. And I mean, I didn't know, I knew he was a communist, but the, the love he fairy had with uh, Castro, I, I, I mean, it's kind of just shocking how much of a kind of a hardcore militant communist this writer is and that was just intriguing to me and you're you're you were so unbiased in the interview and maybe during that period of time um yeah again it's just a compliment to your style the interview is just neutral you know it's just letting him go and riff and it's an interesting technique because i think most people today if you read a corporate interview they have an agenda and they try to either get to a point in the interview or try to channel that interview so it's something yeah, well, I, I don't, I know, I, I, I don't have agendas, or I'm against agendas or something. The only agenda is to get the person to talk as much as possible. <laughs> and again, you know, your 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 interviewing has to be very minimal. You do have to kind of disappear, and when when you are in, in person interviewing someone, you have to be very careful of your body language or not careful. You just, for example, you don't cross your arms in front of your chest when you're interviewing someone because that's a very defensive body language pose that other people can sense. No, you have to have your arms open to, to receive their conversation. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You don't, I mean, you, you look at yourself as an animal doing the interview and you you want to be a very receptive that you want that's what your stance is i'm open to whatever you have to say and say whatever you want to say on that riff how did you then i'm curious how your personal role as a father was with um, your daughter how did that affect I'm just curious your your skill as a publisher and skill as an interviewer. I'm just curious how you educated your daughter. Did you were you? Oh, oh, that was that had some. I, I definitely didn't want her to grow up. I, I, I let's put it this way. I I think I we gave her access to a cell phone as late as possible. <laughs> I, and we spent the maximum time with 
see, I work out of my home. I always have, you know, computers everywhere and desks and 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 so we got to both Marion and I run our little publish home publishing business and and we run it out of our living room. And if you're raising a child and you can that's how you make a living, then you can have your child with you all the time. Although of course a little bit later, you know, she would go over to someone else's house, her best friends, and that's when she learned about television and watching certain actually pretty good programs we discovered because we we wanted to raise her without television because we didn't have one and so but when she found out about television and watching these certain two hours of programs that were actually good every week five days a week then we were forced to get a tv and cable and and have give her access to those too but that was a bit reluctant on my end because what I like to do is read to her and Marion reads to her just one-on-one one on one, as much time as possible reading to her. Always read her to sleep. And and at night, it was so funny. She'd, we'd read her. We'd be reading, one of us, and and we thought she was asleep. And then we like prepare to leave and suddenly she'd wake up and said read <laughs> it's <was> really funny <laughs> and um and, and it turns out that she was kind of memorizing these books we were reading because she because it a, a friend of mine came over and started reading her part of one of these books and he deliberately skipped a sentence or two and she caught him on it said, no, you left out. And then she recited the sentence he'd left out. I just thought that was funny, too. <laughs> and um, and we do a lot of, you know, we, we, of course, try and encourage her to talk and express herself. And we tried to give her as much freedom as possible, but still lay down boundaries, because if you don't lay down boundaries, they don't think you love them. You have to refuse this, that, or the other, and um, it's it's all kind of case by case as you're raising a child to give them the maximum freedom, and yet, you know, you don't want. We, of course, were trying to keep her not to take drugs and drinking and all that stuff, and uh, oh, as you know, your parents are examples to you, and if they don't. And if she never saw us drinking or taking drugs, well, I guess that would mean something. We didn't even mention it. We didn't even want her to know these things exist because that those are the worst things for for children, I think. And um, what else? We, of course, we encourage her to to exercise a little. I mean. Gave her swimming lessons early, and um, you know if she's on a swim team at school, I mean, uh, you know, totally support her that way. I mean, drive her there and do that. Even though, <clears throat> I guess, uh, working from home, we we had more freedom to just up and do things like that to cater to her. I'm curious, Vale. What was she, your 
interaction with other parents like? I'm, you know, with more normie or more, not conservative, but more well, traditional parents. We, I guess her best friend, Katerina, was friends with mainly, it's mainly the daughter, the, the, the father I interacted with, Carlo, and, and he worked at nights. He, he would get, he had a job at some expensive restaurant and, I, th I think one night he told me I made seven hundred dollars last night in tips, and I, I, to me, and so in other words, he, he his daytimes were free too, to raise his daughter as were mine, and so we 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 did a lot of um, joining up at playgrounds, and and so that was because there's a number of small playgrounds walking distance between where we both lived and so we'd go to those playgrounds and so it'd be fun for me i'd talk to carlo and then the kids would talk to each other and i don't know it um and they were outdoors we tried to be outdoors as much as possible in playgrounds i hope you've got them any place you live look for them and and of course um Later on, we'd we'd take them to bookstores and and read to them and buy them books that let them pick out books almost partly. And uh, oh, I'd I'd oh yeah yeah I'd I'd take everybody to Costco and we'd hang out there for hours reading books. Or they used to have a few chairs. I don't think they do anymore, where parents could sit and read to their kids. But but there's big bookstores that that have chairs where you can do this, and so yeah, that became a lot of the playdates. Also moved to bookstores downtown, like kind of big chain ones that aren't there anymore. And of course, you know when they got into Harry Potter, I think they released a book at midnight or something at this big bookstore downtown, and we were there and a million other parents. It was either midnight or 10 p.m. It was, it was, I remember it was really late, much later than we'd ever <laughs> let the kids go, be out in the world. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Oh, boy, Harry Potter had such, such a huge influence for a while. Massive. That, that was a big deal. <laughs> Vale, how do you navigate the balance between being unique and universal in your publications? Well, I think if you're if you're truly unique, you are a universal. <laughs> I mean, in a weird way, you know. We of course we value individuality, and we don't expect everyone to like the same anything—books, food, clothes, whatever. But um. I don't know. There's certain, there's principles behind everything. You try and, uh, should I say, causative principles behind everything in life. And you try and figure out what they are and um, sort of live your life accordingly to that knowledge. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, like getting books, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I'm going to avoid all corporate books and only. <laughs> read books by indie people uh, you can't I, i'm against that too i mean you, you have to be open to whatever attracts you 
it's your intuition is your best guide through life. Like, oh, I like this. You like something, you don't even know why. It's just instantaneously. But listen to your inner voice telling you that, telling you what, I mean, you should go, you should live as much as possible by being attracted according to what attracts you. And um, I suppose for me, my the hidden philosophy behind everything is surrealism. I'm always looking for what what's surreal, i.e. weird out there in the world in any area, whether it's books or films or food or clothes or what not clothes. My my philosophy towards clothes is super utilitarian. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of pockets. Everything has got to have really great pockets or I won't wear it. And uh, I'm surprised how many other people don't choose their clothing that way. And and for me, since I have black hair, I I am an animal. I I like to wear black clothes because as an animal, it fits. And and then I don't have to think. I don't have to ask. You know, does this color go with that? Every morning when you're putting your clothes on, I just wear a uniform. I don't recommend that for everyone, though, especially women. Women, I love it when they're when they're not, you know, w- women wear clothes. That's a whole different topic of conversation. If a woman is young and like sort of courting or being looking for a mate or whatever the hell you call it. Um, Cause I, I lo- I'm always amused by, uh, I love to look at fashion be- and women are more generally more imaginative than men in the, in the way they look. And that can be a source of much smiling to me. Bill, what are you currently interested in right now? What's surreal to you right now? Well, well, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, because I have so many books in my library, I still haven't read. I'm trying to just eventually read those, and um, see. I still think that if you look. For surrealist anything, you'll have plenty to, of reason to live, you know, and, and especially in the book world, surrealist books and magazines are rare, and so you you have to look for them to find them. They they just won't be handed to you. Life won't hand you surrealist books. You have to search for them, and um, and I, I spend still spend a lot of time reading. I like that. You're, you're going to laugh. My daughter gave me a subscription to Financial Times newspaper from England. And uh, most of the articles I don't, I don't care about. But I like to get a British point of view on the so-called news rather than an American one. And, uh, and they have a lot of international news, news that I don't really care about, like uh, and right in front of me, yes, today's paper says Norway pushes on with vast deep sea mining plan. Well, I kind of want to know about that, but in a way, it's not super relevant to my personal existence. But you know, I I I, I like the idea of of maintaining a a very rough international viewpoint. 
if you can. And and I'm sure I could find a lot of stuff online, but I find that's more confusing to me. Print is more neutral somehow, and and I can like I can like I can read an article real fast and and find what I want. Are you a fan of the and, uh, the the FT has those wonderful Sunday interviews where they do oh yes. a meal. Those are very excellent. Oh, I love that. Of course, I love I love those interviews, and and there's certain writers in FT that I really like. Like, I actually, actually I won't name them. There's like four writers I really like, and I read anything they write. But but then there there's actually more that are probably equally deserving of reading. But I'm glad you are aware of the weekend ones. I mean, if you can only subscribe to one thing, let it be the weekend and the Monday. The Monday one is really good because there's a lot of articles in there. In the Monday one, for some reason that I find are interested in like problems of women in the world working, and 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 all kinds of advice. And there's some some really there's one really good writer who's who's always there on Monday or almost always. And she's always funny. And, and, oh, yeah, wit is very important. Did I say that? Try and laugh as much as you can. Try and have as much humor in life as is possible, please. There's so much to make fun of in this world, too. But I generally don't even go there. It's just, <laughs> it's just I, I'd rather <clears throat> deal with more universals than particulars. Bale, do you have any concerns about information warfare? I mean, talking about the Financial Times, um, I mean, they definitely have an agenda and connections to MI6 and the British Foreign Office. I'm just curious how you view media and kind of an information propaganda kind of lens, if, if, if that. Well, I always say that in terms of the world of politics, which actually rules us all, we are never going to know at all. There's always going to be super important stuff that are that will remain hidden from us. So you have to know that. So you have to think that any so-called knowledge you have is probably missing some super important information or data. So you just do the best you can going through life. But I never want to argue with anyone I meet about politics or religion. Let's put it that way. You could say I'm against both of them. <laughs> but um, you can't change the world. You, you know, <laughs> I, I there was a time when I thought that because of science, I thought, oh, maybe religions will disappear, killed by science. But boy, if anything, it's gotten way worse. So that idea, that hope was definitely ill-founded. <laughs> How do you think it's gotten way worse in terms of religious thinking? Well, geez. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't even want to go there, but the word terrorist and terrorism comes to mind, linked with religion. And um, also, I, I mean, religion 
um, uh, some I feel sorry for a lot of women under certain religions where they can't just wear any clothing they want to. Let's let's maybe leave it at that. To me, that's a huge infringement on your freedom. A religion telling you what you cannot wear and and how you must wear, or you'll be killed. <laughs> Religions have a huge handle on that, and so and in politics too. I mean, women and how many women CEOs are there? How many women politicians are there? I mean, just not enough. Let's put it that way. Do you ever have uh, feelings in the past as a publisher of self censorship, or did you ever just? Not oh yeah, no, no, I do. I, 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 I would like. All my everything I publish, I would like to be able to be accessible to a fifth grader because that's when I started reading more or less adult books uh, or, or books aimed at adults and not just at teenagers or little kids or whatever. I, I thought if those adults can read them, I can read it, and so, um. So I try not to include any swear words if I can, even if people say them. And I and if, if you know the F word, if I have to, I'll print it with F asterisks asterisk K. If, if you follow me, <laughs> I mean I don't want it offend affect my readership who might be young. You know you you can't use a lot of swear those major swear words and i don't or if i have to i i i do the asterisk thing are there any topics that you wanted to publish but didn't because of concern or oh lots um i, I mean i don't really want to yeah there, there probably lots and and they would involve politics and religion and um, I mean, I prefer to just do interviews with individuals for both three things, smart, funny, and rebellious, all three. And I just prefer to have them talk about their lives and how they've made, how they maintain their sense of freedom and 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 how they get stuff done even though it might not be as easy as might, as you might think, or it might be a lot harder than you think, rather. I don't know. There's, of course, everyone has, a lot of these people I interview have little little tiny tales of how they were oppressed or repressed. And, and I guess if I think people can be inspired by it, I include those, those stories. Are you working on any new books right now, Vale, or any new collections other than... No. No. No, I'm not, although I should. I should be writing my own autobiography, but that's the hardest thing in the world. I now know why everybody in the world has their autobiographies, say, as as written with blank. That written with is so important. <laughs> it's, like, indispensable. <laughs> I was also curious about your podcast. You guys had, I think, 25, 26 um, podcasts under the research publications. And then 
are you guys going to bring that back or are you just what was the success of that or what was the project about oh ask marion about that one because she's she's does all of our tech and and that's it's actually a lot of work to edit podcasts for for example do you think the underground is actually more accessible now than ever or not well first you know socrates said if if you want to converse with me we we must define our terms and what's the hell does underground mean anymore i think you can i think there's like millions of undergrounds now made up of just two or three people uh, and and somehow they're isolated enough they spend enough time together that they're trying to live their own version of a alt culture life or counterculture life and um a lot of these people form bands uh, too I mean, I, I met some really nice people, young, very young people who are in a band, and I was envious. They're like, they're going to tour Australia for two weeks very soon and come back and play the Bay Area again, but they don't live here. They live way far away. Uh, I guess two members live in Nashville, and one person lives in Jesus, where was it? Minneapolis or uh, someplace very far? Oh yeah, we we just we learn our songs through the internet, and then when we get together and practice for real, rehearse, we already know the songs, so it's very fast, and then we can pl- just play a show. I just thought that's great. Songs over the internet, I guess for free, sort of, and that that that's kind of great to me i mean that's a great use of the internet but i forgot the original question you were you asked well i, I think it connects back to what you said about oh undergrounds warhol. yeah well i agree with you because i think there's a that quote you're going to be what famous for 15 minutes by andy warhol yeah now i think it's expanded right. to i think momus the singer said you'll be famous for 15 followers and, <laughs> and 15 seconds probably on tiktok is isn't, isn't that what a tiktok video is 15 seconds or something yeah i mean it's a combination of all that and <laughs> no i think you're right i mean I, I think what what is the underground is the biggest question now is is that you know someone just off the internet or i'm just curious what you define that as we could start there well i i'd say it should be at least two people <laughs> two people can be an underground if they're in some terrible desolate place and all they have is each other to make an underground with yeah, then they'll try and live an underground kind of life which which i i guess you could un- describe an underground kind of life as it's kind of it's not so mainstream consumerist it, it generally tends to avoid most mainstream media consumption and actually i meet a lot of people who are vegetarian or are mostly vegetarian that are young and that didn't used to happen you know a million years ago take my word for it so there's like characteristics and you know i don't think there are any fashions anymore that are that are so dogmatic I just 
fashions are all over the map now that people dress like. So you can't necessarily look at someone, but you can kind of look at people, you know, and and know that there there's something undergroundy about them. <laughs> can't quite put your finger on it, but uh, some are more flamboyant than others. Uh, the, the, I think the the main thing is like humor, a great sense of humor, um, just very critical of, I don't know, everything that deserves you to be critical of, um, and and people survive, you, you know, like I I I guess I can meet some people. And right away, uh, know if I like them a lot or not, <laughs> just by talking to them. It's it's a uh, you want it's I guess it's a desire you have a, your building you you have a built-in desire for kind of a different way to live, alternative culture, alternative music making, alter, alternative media creation all of the above and alternative child raising. I, I mean, yeah, you, you don't want to be authoritarian with your child or I try to avoid that, but yet you must have boundaries, like I said, or they, they really don't think you love them. You, you got to say to them after they turn the early teenager, listen, I want you home tonight by 8.30. It's a school night or, you know, something like that. You don't just let them come home at midnight or something. <laughs> Does that make any sense? No, no, it's amazing. I think, you know, talking about the role of freedom and that aspect of authoritarianism, it's interesting because every night I tend to draw with my daughter, maybe 30 minutes, 45 oh, minutes. Great. We always have drawing time. And, you know, every time we, you know, put all our art supplies, anyone, you know, we share everything and, she always gets mad at me though, because she's like, dad, papa, stop tracing or stop looking at something at what you draw. You know, I'm always trying to like, I look at a house and I try to draw that house off a picture or something, but she draws in such a free way. She doesn't look at anything. She just looks at the paper and then starts going. And wow. I think we're born, you know, just such free creatures. But then as we either develop and grow up, we start either mimicking or limiting what our innate natural desires are right so going yeah. back to, to, to that concept of group or the underground you know she's underground in the sense that she's just doing what she wants to do right so i wanted to yeah. the question I'm, I'm getting to Vale is in your music it seems like you're very free i was listening to some of your music so how do you keep that freedom or that desire to not be constrained as you go on the life journey well first of all again your your unconscious and your intuition has to be pushed to the foreground always and and a lot of times like if i sit down to play the piano i turn the recorder on it and hope something will come out that i didn't know i was going to play you know and it's all simple it's not i'm not doing super complex stuff but but if something, you know, if a melody or a song happens to show up, then I will do my best to turn it into a song with 
rhyming lyrics and all that. But a lot of my improvs are just improvs that I could never play again unless I sat down and memorized the darn things. Then I could play it again. And um, and I'm envious that I never thought of of doing a, a drawing time every night with my daughter. It was just reading. I didn't think of trying to draw together. That's a brilliant idea. Well, this, it's her idea. I like that. She's the one. She's a oh, little, good. She's the dictator, and we have a story good. time after that. So don't don't worry, Val. She's getting her reading time as well. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a full, you know, two hour uh, wind down every night with her. You know, it's a that's you know, so great drawing time. You know, her little bit of homework she has, and then you know, right bath time or whatever it is and then story time and very demanding we are always negotiating with her on what how many few books <laughs> you know because as you know it, bec it becomes exhausting to keep reading um <laughs> they all, maybe oh. i don't want to take too much of your time but what are you guys most excited about right now like what are you looking forward to the future or what are you most optimistic about well we were we were under lockdown so long that and and just a month or two ago we made suddenly two airplane trips one to los angeles where someone put on a an event interviewing me that was super nice of them and then in new york city where someone else just invited me there just to have a book table and um that was super fun so I kind of wish we could do a little more traveling because uh, you know what Burroughs said? I, he said, it is necessary to travel. It is not necessary to live. <laughs> and uh, I, I think traveling is, but, but now I'm also meeting people who traveled to San Francisco and they come by like yourself. And so I, I, I mean, I, it seems like we went a long time with how, hardly having anybody over and i didn't like that at all because of covid and so now i'm hoping we, we can just have more time with real people in rooms or homes or, or at restaurants whatever the pretext or sitting in a park and um, i'm looking forward to more social life <laughs> sounds pathetic yeah <laughs> no i think it's uh well that's a whole crime that we can explore in another podcast i guess the whole um last three years or whatnot but where can people <laughs> where, where's your next uh travel to do you have plans or you're still thinking about it i don't i don't know i my daughter lives in new york so i wouldn't mind going to new york again i had so much fun in the week i was there there's so much to do there and i mean i i didn't like new york necessarily so much before but this trip it was really fun like total fun and, and there's a million people out in the street i don't know if you know this but san francisco is it's super a lot less people everywhere it's it's weird no, it's going through. Uh, I a mean, rough, I wouldn't say rough patch. Yeah. yeah, I'll say, and and I live in North Beach, which is the best tourist area, probably in the city. 
and still it's way down. I mean, so many stores have gone under. It's really that I liked. And so it's, I'm a, I, it makes me sad, but there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> do you guys but, ever but we have this wonder- moving or? No, no, no. I will never move. But we're so, but I've, I noticed that since COVID, I've been going out and hanging out, hanging out at Washington Square four blocks away, way more than I ever did before. And I, I think it, I, my mind needs to see all that, that huge expanse of green grass and those real tall green trees and hear the birds. I, you know, I, I never did that once ever before, before COVID. And I've only finally got wise to doing this in the last few months very recently and so that's a big thrill to me like i'm going to go to the post office after i after after we're done talking and and then i'm going to hang out in the park for a little bit like i said just drinking in the sight of all this green grass well uh vale i i really appreciate your time i i love how you guys are still free and pushing for an interest in just the surreal or the weird or than usual. And I, I, you know, here in Hawaii where I live, uh, I've become a huge fan of Costco and I always think about, Oh, me too. I love Costco. I, <laughs> I, I wrote a song about it. I loved it so much. So I think, well, that, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I was going to just agree with you. I think that the first time I ever heard of, you know, someone loving Costco was from you. And then I come to Hawaii and Costco's, a, a, it's a different thing than the mainland. And, uh, no, it's just because you know food is so expensive here that you just have to rely on Costco a lot, and it just becomes like a, a great institution. And it's strange that it's just like you're reading the Financial Times; these kind of mainstream, normal things actually become quite surreal and weird. And there's a treasure in them, which I appreciate. Oh, I'm glad you're a Costco fan. Go there a lot because you know pe- people don't understand a simple principle that. I I try to do all my shopping at Costco because everything there is wholesale or just a cut above wholesale. And so why shop anywhere else? You know, you get this huge bunch of bananas for $2 and something. I I don't know. I I buy essentials there. I, I got addicted to blueberries and you can get them cheaper there than any other store. Take my word for it. So I buy lots of blueberry packs. That blueberries last at least a week or more, and I think they're really good for you. So I never was a blueberry addict until just a few months ago. I realized, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, but everything that just remember, everything there is wholesale. So why shop anywhere else? Great. Well, I think that connects back. Uh, get- you know, veil to your kind of like do-it-yourself kind of punk attitude, which I, you know, just looking for treasures and looking for solutions, right? So if that's how you make it work in San Francisco, I think that's great, right? Um, yeah, and you can, yeah, I'm glad you have a Costco in Hawaii. You're lucky. That's so great. Anyway, Vale, I really appreciate your time, Miriam, as well. Um, anything else you want to share with people or? Well, just, uh, just, Read every book you can and find on surrealism. And there's there's not that many of them, maybe 10,000. So 
but it'll take a little work to find them. And I'd say if you ever find a book on surrealism cheap at a garage sale, buy it. 